It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. I once again welcome you to another Estate Planning Essentials radio program and podcast. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., the owner of KAAM Radio and co-host of this fine program. We hope wisely, thoughtfully seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my friend, my co-host, my attorney, who should be your attorney, our Dallas estate planning expert, Michael Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you are doing? Are you going to spell my last name? You're going to just... Uh, gonna... It's just C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D. Okay, good. That was a test. Yeah. Um, but happy summer to you. I hope all is going well. I hope you're enjoying this heat, which is only going up, not down. Yeah, of course we are. I, I kind of li- like it. Some like it hot, and yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, good. It sure beats uh, January, where it can be brutally cold, and my wife Sarah always says... I hate the cold, I hate the cold, and then when it becomes too hot, I hate the heat, I hate the heat, and yeah. we're going to have to move to Grand Cayman Islands or Aruba or somewhere like San that. San Diego is a good one. San Diego is a good one, yeah. My best buddy is there, whom I mentioned to you many times, the other attorney that I know and love dearly. Um, and today, Michael, we want to talk about Medicaid planning and the use of annuities. Yeah. Fire away. Yeah, in particular, there's a thing called a Medicaid-compliant annuity, mm-hmm. which is specifically designed for use in getting eligibility for long-term care Medicaid. Hmm, So when the law was last passed, the Deficit Reduction Act of 2005, which was signed on February 8, 2006. Good memory. Yeah, uh, well, um, when you're an elder elder law attorney like me, you remember these types of things. You do, that's right. Uh, So the... And, and there's been, but we've been using annuities for a long time in different types of situations. But here's the deal. Uh, in fact, there probably was use of annuities prior to that. Uh, but the why why Medicaid? What's the difference? Why do people want to get long-term care Medicaid? Um, the government will help pay for long-term care costs if you meet their requirements. So they basically. Um, it's a lot of times it's means tested. They look at your assets. You see, Medicare generally doesn't pay for long-term care, such as a nursing home. Uh, there's some limited care at home. Hmm. Uh, usually, if you have if you're in a hospital, you may have three days. Uh, if you're there for three days and three nights, then Medicare may pay for the first 20 days for rehab, and then up to an additional 80 days. Uh, copay, but if you don't have a Medicare supplement, that copay is very expensive. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and most people do not have long-term care insurance. Generally, when I, like if I'll ask at a workshop that we often have every few weeks, I'll ask how many people have long-term care insurance. It's usually not more than 10%. 
And so that means 90% of the, you know, most people do not have long-term care insurance. They think that Medicare will take care of them, but Medicare in some respects is disease discriminatory. Hmm. In other words, if you have a heart attack, yeah, we'll pay for it. But if you have a dementia-related disease, oh my goodness, that's expensive. We're not going to pay for that. Interesting. Yeah, so so I say that say that Medicare is somewhat disease discriminatory. Of course, I'm you know a big advocate uh, to try to try to fight uh, find a cure for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit more prejudiced, mm-hmm. uh, and I think uh, and this is something though that I think both uh, Republicans and Democrats agree we all want to end. Uh, Alzheimer's, as we see that people are aging, and the, the older we get, the more likelihood that there'll be some sort of chronic illness, some sort of dementia a lot of times, whether it could be a Parkinson's or an Alzheimer's or frontal temporal dementia or one of the other types, Lewy bodies, all the different types of dementias that they're, uh, are very getting to be more and more, seem to be getting more common. Mm. Uh, we have to find a cure, if nothing else, for for the benefit of the country, as our we we see all the different issues with spending, and how what if we had to spend more and more on care? Uh, we have enough, as we know, as we've experienced recently. There's lots of fights on how we spend our money. Yes. All right. So, anyway, so Medicaid is a program. Originally, it was designed for the poor. I said originally, and so a lot of people think of it that way. But then the Older Americans Act of 1988 uh, changed things. Uh, the first of all, if you're if there's a married couple, uh, if their income is low enough, generally, let's say if you're in a nursing home, that means that your non what's called non-countable resource income, typically Social Security and pension, of the couple, and assuming that one spouse is ill and the other one as well that if that income is lower than a certain limit, right now that's $3,715.50, but who's counting, mm-hmm. uh, that the lower it is, the more you could protect. So if uh, your income between the couple was 2500 and that's $1,215.50 lower than the limit, we plug into a formula and they tell you to keep more then one half of the countable resources not to exceed, right now, $148,620. You don't have to memorize these uh, numbers. Just realize that that's the limit of countable resources. However, uh, in other words, not your home, not your car, not a pre-need funeral, not personal property items generally. Uh, there are some other exceptions. But on those other things like CDs or money, uh, cash in the bank, Generally, some IRAs, if they're traditional IRAs, do not count in Texas, different than many states, as long as there's what's called a required minimum distribution. You know, when you're, depending on your age, some people when they were 70 and a half to have to have a required minimum distribution, some people at 72, and now the law is 73 based on the SECURE Act that was passed and became effective on January 1st of this year. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so, but what happens if we cannot what we call expand the protected resource amount. In other words, that 148620 If your income's lower, even if you had three or four or $500,000, there still might be eligibility for Medicaid because the combined incomes 
of the married couple of what's called that non-combable resource income is low enough, and they plug it in with interest rates to see if you keep more assets. So that's why I say, first of all, that this is no longer uh, a, a program for the poor, because if you could keep $500,000, that's, I don't think, poor anymore. Right. Um, uh, so, but let's say that their combined incomes were greater than that $3,715.50. And I'm really just talking about the nursing home Medicaid program because the formula is different for the, uh, there's a program at home which also permits expansion, but they have a different formula. Uh, you know, there's 109 Medicaid programs in Texas, each with their own rules. And so it's a maze. And so you have to kind of weave your way through that maze and see which program fits. Uh, and so that's often a that's often what we have to discuss when we meet with clients and say, okay, what fits your situation? It should be mentioned uh, also that uh, things are changing because, uh, as we know, with the state legislature, um, well, there's going to be a lot more people who might get off the system. During COVID, you couldn't take people off the system, but people have moved. So when they have an annual redetermination, a lot of a lot of different programs, uh, just people might fall in the cracks here. Uh, if they can't find them, people have moved. Um, it's going to be an, a real issue. And um, anyway, well, that I'm kind of getting off the topic. Uh, so getting back to um, our topic, if the income is too great between the couple, so let's say that the couple's income was, oh, oh, um, well, I'll give you an actual case. I may have talked about this last year, but now this case is concluded, uh, and I'm going to give you an, a really odd case. Let's say that the uh, husband and wife had $180,000 or maybe 200000 whatever. And 200000 well, I told you the maximum protect, protected resource amount is 148620 But that doesn't mean you get to automatically keep the 148620 They say take one half, that's 100000 So if your income was greater in the non-calibre resource income, Social Security pension, Typically, it was greater than that three thousand seven hundred fifteen dollars and fifty cents. You you would have to get down to one hundred thousand before they're of countable resources of the couple. Even if you were had a pre or post nuptial agreement, that has nothing to do with it. They look at the assets of both. So if you had a second marriage and you had all this whatever money, they're going to look at your assets uh, in determining if your spouse could get eligible for Medicaid. Well, anyway, uh, so if the income of the couple is greater than thirty-seven fifteen fifty, we have to get down to one half. Uh, all right. Now, in this case, this odd case, uh, it's odd in the fact of the age. The ill spouse in this case was the wife. The husband, or the community spouse, the well spouse, um, was ninety or is was ninety six years old mm. when he came to me, and he said, "Can I get eligibility for my wife?" So let's say the wife's income was a thousand dollars a month. Let's say his income was three thousand a month. 
too much for medic. If you remember, I told you it was 37, 15, 50. Okay. And so it, that means I would have had to get down to the 100,000 threshold if they had $200,000 of assets. Well, um, first, what do you do? Uh, first, you got to get the assets into the name of the well spouse. Well, we got to look at that too before we do it because what's the life expectancy of the ill spouse? Um, you know, um, if you have an appreciated asset, let's say you had stock or real estate, if I, part, uh, if I die and I'm married, at least in Texas, because Texas is a community property state, you get what's called a step-up in basis, a recalculation of the value of your assets as of the date of the deceased spouse. So if I had bought a piece of property at 30000 and it was worth 130 at the time of my death, I would not have to pay uh, if I held that property till I died and I had a surviving spouse and it was community property, the basis would be recalculated and any capital gains tax would only be uh, if that surviving spouse sold the property uh, for more than 130000 That's excluding the home. The home has its own special rule. Uh, you could get a gain of up to an additional two fifty if you're uh, if it's your homestead. If you're married and you sell a home, you have a, up to a $500,000 gain. Well, anyway, so you get a step up in basis. Uh, so is there any stock or other things uh, other than the homestead that I have to transfer that if that if we thought that the spouse was going, the ill spouse was going to die within a year, then I would have lost that step up. So we got to look at that uh, before I make, you got to look before you leap. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to consider the capital gains tax issue or the step up, in fact. Then you have to transfer the assets from the ill spouse to the well spouse. You have one year to do that. Um, anyway, uh, after it's been transferred, well, that gets into an issue. What if you, um, ha- what if the power of attorney doesn't give you that authority? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that I think we'll use that as a topic for another show. I think so, because that's a big topic. Yeah. So um, anyway, so now that the assets are in the name of the well spouse uh, and your assets are too great, let's say it was in June of 2023. Ill spouse goes in with this 200000 Well, in our example, the 96-year-old says, how can I get eligibility for my wife? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm eating up my assets. How do I have governmental assistance to help pay for cost of care? Let's say that the cost of care was $7,000 a month, which is not unusual for a skilled nursing facility. Um, quite frankly, I'm on the board of a facility that's ten to $11,000 a month. Unbelievable. So we started this ten years ago. It was three thousand a month. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, things go up, and uh-huh. usually the cost of care exceeds inflation. True. So, um, so here, uh, if if we got her eligible for Medicaid B, let's say that we only had to give up her income, and her cost of care was seven, and her income was one thousand a month, then we would save six thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. This 96-year-old says, okay, how can we get eligibility? Well, they sell these certain types of Medicaid-compliant annuities, but there are some risk. So now, what? and if you buy this annuity, it doesn't count as an asset. It's an income stream, but the annuity has to comply with the state rules 
uh, and probably federal rules uh, as far as uh, to make it where it doesn't count. And that's very promising, very exciting. Michael does this program to provide you answers and solutions. It's almost like second nature for him. He reads nothing. He has to remember his wife and kid's name all the time, just like he remembers this stuff. It's just amazing to me how I can just sit here and get this free education every Saturday, every Tuesday, every day of the week when I listen to this program or when I even when I do the program with Michael. And he doesn't perform. He just provides you with the facts, no showmanship, just the laws and the truth to help you make more informed decisions. This is what Michael's been doing his entire life, especially when he became a lawyer. And for you to see for yourself, to not take my word for it, you should attend Michael's next workshop, which is Saturday, June the 24th at 10 a.m. No traffic. Um, so you can get there very easily. First, Michael, tell them where the workshop is and then tell them what goes on at the workshop. Well, the workshop is at our office conference center. Um, so there's a conference center in our building, which mm-hmm. is, if you know where Medical City Hospital is in North Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, kind of close to uh, Central Expressway 75, uh, not too far south from uh, LBJ, which is 635. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not too far, meaning just about a mile or something, right? Yeah. That, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly a mile, All I right. think, in Great. fact. Uh, so it's right. Uh, and actually, since we're on the north side of uh, Medical City, mm-hmm. so it's actually a little bit less than a mile. Already? Yeah. And so anyway, it's very simple to get to because those two major intersections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, there's like a conference center in our building. Mm-hmm. And so we usually have them uh, there. Good. Cool. And um, donuts, coffee, Katablam, coffee mugs, the you whole know, thing. I and should you promote the coffee mugs last week, which really is upsetting, just for the record. You know, people have been – this last workshop, goes. people clamored for those coffee mugs. Why, so, did, I, why uh, did I say that? You know, they, those coffee mugs, uh, mugs went quicker than donuts. In fact, they were quicker before the – you can't even say Starbucks and they were gone. I think he makes fun of the coffee mugs left-handedly or left-handed compliment. It's something like that. You know, and by the way, uh, it should be mentioned that a lot of people like the comments that – you know, you had the state of Texas uh-huh. uh, logo with mm-hmm. God, country, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people have said uh, positive things about I'm that. I'm glad to hear that. Well, thank so, you. So uh, anyway, anyway, those free KWM coffee mugs, that's why people are going. It's not for the free education. It's not for the all mm-hmm. that you'll learn and all that you'll mm-hmm. learn from others. It's the KWM coffee mugs. You know, some people forgot that Father's Day is right, just happening. Right. Or if you have it, if it's already, if you forgot about it, well, yep. KWM coffee mug drink. Who, a cup of joe for dad. It's pretty wow. good. I All hate right. to admit it, it's pretty good. All right. Well, anyway, so, um, yeah, we ask people what they want to know. In over two hours, we answer their questions. It's whatever you want. You ask questions of what you want to know. It's a workshop, and that's why we call it a workshop, uh, not a seminar, because you ask the questions. We're interactive, and we do have a, a short presentation as well. To attend that free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214 0102 or sign up online, which is preferable, at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. Uh, I think you're going to find it um, uh, educational 
and enjoyable. And if you do go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, we also give a free vision meeting. So not only do you get the coffee mug and the two or three hours, but an additional hour where uh, we look at your own individual situation in more detail if you want. It's no obligation. Uh, but So you get three free hours of legal education without any obligation. And a free KWM coffee mug. And who can ask for anything more? I can't ask for anything more than that. Uh, so go to the website or just call them the old-fashioned way, 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102. Michael Cohen, we've got about five minutes left. We wanted to talk about uh, or elaborate a little bit more on the use of annuities for Medicaid planning. Okay. Well, I hadn't finished up on that story, so let me finish up. And I okay. don't know that I'll be able to uh, – we may have to stay tuned for a second version uh, at a later show. Uh, but on this case, as we were talking about, the 96-year-old husband lived at home. They had about a couple hundred thousand dollars. The wife uh, had income of $1,000. He had income of $3,000. He wanted to get eligibility because here he was concerned that he would eat up his assets during his lifetime, uh, and he wanted governmental assistance. So, you could sell these Medicaid-compliant annuities until somebody is up to 100 years old. Amazing. All right. I know that usually you don't think of no. annuities when you're that old. <laughs> no. And, and there's even more risk, and I'll tell you what it is. Oh, well, first of all, what is it? It's a single premium. That means I put the money up front. So let's say we put $180,000 into an annuity. Okay, that doesn't leave them very much. Mm -hmm. Immediate. It starts paying out immediately, every month. Well, if you have 180000 in a new, even if there's no interest, if oh, and he, because he's 96, we want to make sure he gets that money back within his lifetime, and he's 96. Yeah, that's tough. You have two issues that come to mind as you were mentioning this, the issue of the individual who's in their 80s and 90s, should they take out an annuity? And the person selling the annuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should yeah, they be yeah. selling it to an 80, someone in their 80s and 90s? Well, usually it's if, morally wrong. Yeah, if it was a deferred annuity, that's correct. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was a little bit different. I know like my wife's grandmother went to a, a bank, and they said she was 100 years old, and they said suggested a deferred annuity. She didn't even pay income taxes. So what is she deferring the income for? Exactly. <laughs> but in this case, it was a, it's a high-risk thing, and usually you don't sell to an annuity to somebody this old. And that's why, because it was so bizarre, mm -hmm. so weird. That's why I decided to talk about this case. Uh, in this case, I said, well, okay, you better bank it. If you're going to buy an annuity, better be short term because if you, upon your death, if you died and your wife survives under the Medicaid rules, either your wife has to get the annuity. Well, if she gets the annuity and has, let's say, $15,000 a month, which that annuity would be in this particular case, well, then she'll lose Medicaid because her income is too great. Mm -hmm. And if she died first, well, the state has to be named as the remainder beneficiary to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. So that's the risk we run. And so I said, if you do not, he said, is it worth doing? I said, well, you have to tell me if you're going to live or die. Right. That's a little it, tough. He said, can, can you? Can I ask you real fast, when you say Medicaid benefits have been advanced, that means, in layman's terms, they got to pay back the government, or at least the estate does. Is that correct? Yeah, the, okay. the, the annuity has to pay. So whatever the government paid out, mm -hmm. they have to pay the state back. Okay. So if you get so if you get all that income back before you die, mm -hmm. you don't pay the state back. Okay. So he had so as I said to him, I said, you know, if you do not live for that one year till you're ninety seven, 
I think your family's going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so and actually, his in May, his year ran. Uh, he got all his money back, okay. so he got that. And so the government's been paying where he did not have to pay that difference between one thousand and seven thousand, the six thousand dollars a month. So he's gotten all of his money back, and the government's helped pay for care costs all within the rules of the government. But you see, the risk is that he would have uh, had died, and that's a big risk at ninety six. But he took the he said he I want to take that risk because I want to save that money. And he gambled, and he won. But uh, as you said, it's risky when you're that old. Yes. So, or, and so a lot of times you have to ask about, he was still driving. He was in good health for 96. Uh, you probably saw him on the road. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and you got off the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's a single premium. It's immediate. It has to start paying immediately. It has to be for a term certain, a certain period of time, less than the life expectancy of the annuity. Even a 96-year-old has a, like I'd say, two- to three-year life expectancy uh, at least. Uh, there's an actual chart. It has to be non-transferable, non-assignable. The state of Texas, after a spouse, has to be named as a remainder beneficiary to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. There's When it's short-time annuities, there's only just like there's one company that has kind of cornered the market. On longer-term uh, Medicaid-compliant annuities, there's other companies that do it. So we look at the ratings and see what the rates are. And so uh, it's just part of the planning process uh, in connection uh, with in situations, in this case, when the income of the couple, when there's a married couple, one spouse needs care and the other one is okay, but their income is greater than the allowable limit for expansion of the protected resource for Medicaid to get governmental assistance for long-term care. In this case, now he's saving $6,000 a month for the rest of her life. He has all of his assets, but now also, it better be one more thing I'll say, and then I know that I'm going to have to conclude. But you know, if he dies, what happens? Well, what does his will say? If it says all to spouse, and he lost that eligibility. So then what, he, what did we do? We did a will with a special needs trust, and that means that if he died first, the assets that had been partitioned to him will go into a trust for his surviving spouse that will not count for Medicaid. And then upon uh, death, it goes, let's say, kids or whoever they want. So you have to even think about what happens if he dies afterwards and you need to do some estate planning. But then there also have to – there, or there's the other option uh, is if he thinks he needs care, well, there's a different type of trust that he would do. Concerns, solutions. Concerns, solutions. That was what this program is all about. That's what Michael Cohen specializes in. Attend his next workshop to hear and see for yourself. Saturday, June the 24th at 10 a.m. Dial 214-720-0102 or go to DallasElderLawyer.com. Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. A leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. 
That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.